So we went to the North Georgia mountains to be with my family. Okay, cool. Uh, was going to be a three day trip because that sounds like you died. Like you went to be with your family. Oh yeah, in the time their time of need, oh, their need of vacation. <laughs> uh, so yeah, so Jordan and I went. It was going to be a two day, three day trip. We turned it into a two day trip because he had to be back for work. Okay. Irma messed up a bunch of stuff. Yeah. Whatever. I get it. So, yeah. So we were like, is it worth it to drive six hours for just two nights? And we ultimately decided, sure, we're young, it's fine. Um, also, we wanted a little break. Yeah. We go, have a wonderful time, get in the car to come home on Monday. Our car breaks down on the interstate, which we have always driven old cars. I'm accustomed to having to pull off the road and turn on my hazards and whatever. However, in all of my years of car cars breaking down, that has never occurred on the interstate. And it has never occurred not... It has never occurred somewhere where I didn't know someone. Uh-huh. So, like, in college, my college friends were close by in, you know traveling, leaving right outside Tallahassee. Okay, well, literally my whole family lives in Tallahassee. Like, they cool. can come home. Yeah, me. easy. Yeah, Birmingham, um, middle of nowhere, Alabama. Like, there were people in Alabama we could call who were like, we're within an hour. This was in LaGrange, Georgia. I don't know if we have any listeners in LaGrange, but I don't know anybody in LaGrange. And so we had to pull off the interstate, and then the tow truck came and got us, and we had pulled off on, like, an exit. So, like, we were on an exit ramp. And he towed our car up the exit ramp, which there's nothing more scary and horrifying than not only has your car broken down, but you might die in the tow truck going up the exit ramp. Like, <laughs> like is this even legally allowed? He seemed very confident. Jordan was like, um, I can't find my seatbelt. And the guy was like, oh, you don't need it. And I was like, yes, we do. <laughs> we need our seatbelts. This is terrifying. I don't know how they do things in LaGrange, <laughs> but we definitely need seatbelts. So we survived. Then I just have to say that there is nothing more um, upper middle class affluent than like getting your 2000 um, Forerunner towed to the Toyota dealership after hours, like everybody was closed, and then like whipping out your phone thinking, I'm just going to get an Uber to take me to the hotel where we have to spend the night. Yeah, there's no there are no Uber drivers in LaGrange. (laughs) (laughs) Oh, because I was like, great, I have solved this problem. Like Jordan has done everything, but I have solved this problem. And then like just waiting with my phone, there are no Ubers. There is a cab service, just in case you're curious. I'm not saying I recommend it, but I'm not saying I don't recommend it. Uh, And we stayed at a Holiday Inn Express last night. Welcome to episode 143 of From the Front Porch, a collection of conversations on books, small business, and life in the South. My name is Chris Jensen, and I'm a collection of books, small business, and life in the South. (laughs) And I'm Annie Jones, owner of The Bookshelf, an independent bookstore in beautiful downtown Thomasville, Georgia. Um, I love our interview that we're going to listen to here in a minute, but first I want to talk again about Fontaine Mori, because they do such really good work with branding. Yes, so I feel like... I really notice branding. I don't know that everybody is that way. I don't know if it's a millennial thing. I don't. I don't know, but like, pay attention to. Of course, I know it goes beyond font choice and all that. But like, I very much pay attention. You are more likely to get my business if your business is pretty. Yeah, yeah. (laughs) And Fontaine Mori does such a good job. They do such a good job that many businesses I have fallen in love with. 
I fell in love with before even knowing Fontaine Mori did their work. So they do Sweetgrass Dairy. Yeah. They do Fuzzy Goat. They do Bird Legs Bicycles. They do Blackberry Patch, Shermer Pecans, um, and then they have done a lot of the work. Hale McCollum, who owns uh, Fontaine Mori, has done a lot of the work for Tom Magazine, mm-hmm. one of our local publications. Um, I just feel like she has a knack, she and her staff have a knack for identifying what needs to be brought out of a business, Mm -hmm. like what characteristics and personality traits Mm -hmm. need to be brought out of a business. Also something really cool and interesting that they do, so Lizzie Jones and Carson House are her employees, and they do beautiful, it's beyond hand lettering, it's like sign painting, Mm -hmm. and it's this gorgeous, they've done some things inside Fuzzy Goat, I think they also did, um, remember our friends from Saints of Old Florida? Mm -hmm. So Melissa, one of the authors of that book, owns a shop in Port St. Joe, Mm -hmm. and Fontaine Mori did this beautiful outdoor, kind of, not a mural, but like uh, signage, I guess, mm-hmm. for them. But it's like this lost art that I don't think we do anymore because we design it all on... Digitally. Yeah, yeah, digitally. And instead they're doing it by hand. That's cool. It's really cool. Um, what they're doing is fantastic. And I feel pretty proud that they're based in our yeah. quirky little small in, town. In our little pocket here. Yeah. Um, they make this kind of work so much easier for businesses so the businesses don't have to try to do it themselves because... Yeah. Design and branding are not gifts that everybody has. That's right. Um, and I'm not sure everyone realizes that. Correct. <laughs> and I think Hale and her staff do a good job of democratically kind of helping mm-hmm. shape brands. Um, and I don't know, in that long list that we that we mentioned, not only is it communities like Jekyll Island, she's done some work for St. Simon's Island, but Fonte Mori clearly works with different sizes of businesses. So you've got Fuzzy Goat, which is a business comparable to ours, um, which is a small business. Like, we don't have a huge budget for marketing and branding and design. Um, But Hale and her staff work with them to make, to make things happen. And then she also works for bigger brands. Shermer Pecans is a national brand. Right. So anyway, I'm just constantly impressed by the work they're putting into the world and by how they're making small businesses more beautiful. If you'd like to look at some of their work and maybe contact them about getting some work done, you can find them at fontainemory.com. That's F-O-N-T-A-I-N-E-M-A-U-R-Y.com. And if you are far away and you just kind of want to keep up to date on what they're doing, I highly recommend following them on Instagram at Fontaine Mori. Uh, I would love for you guys to check them out. And you can also find links to all of this in the show notes. In our show notes, yeah. Um, Today's episode is an interview with good friend of the show, CJ Hauser, who's just a delight. She, guys, this is one of my favorite episodes we've done in a while because she is so eloquent. She's so eloquent. I know. (laughs) Like, she was one of my best friends when she lived here, and we hung out all the time, but she moved to New York last summer, Mm -hmm. and I have not seen her since. Mm -hmm. Um, And, like, we text. Yeah. But, like, it's not the same. Right. Because I I forgot just how eloquent... And intelligent. You will feel like you have taken the best kind of literature class yeah. after this episode. And, and she doesn't talk down no, at all. No. Um, like, she's just so smart and wants you to be smart, too, and wants you to know everything there is to know about how beautiful short stories are. And as delightful as she sounds on this episode, she is as delightful she as that in person. absolutely is in real life. And so I really hope you enjoy this interview that we did with C.J. Hauser. I'm here with Annie. Hi. Hi. Hi, how are you? 
I am good. I am so far away from you in space, but I am happy to be talking to you all. At least we still have you in time. You do, in time. <laughs> um, which is which is very, very good. Um, yes. So, CJ, it's been a very, very long time since you've been on the podcast, but you were one of From the Front Porch's very first guests. I was about guests. to say. Um, like, first five episodes, I'm pretty sure. Yes, and I remember being in Annie's very cozy living room and talking about small towns and how small towns, even though they are different geographically, sometimes have certain things in common, namely charm and gossip. (laughs) (laughs) Yes. Which are often related. (laughs) I think that I live in a very small town again right now, and I think that, um, they are related. I think that there's something really lovely about walking about town, and I see five people I know whether I want to or not when buying a bagel or going to the grocery store. <laughs> um, but then, of course, there's uh, the same people who would say, did you see that CJ went to the bagel store for the third time? And it's like, oh, no, everyone knows I'm addicted to rosemary bagels. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, there are worse things there to are definitely about, worse I things. suppose. I mean, do you, think, do you think there are people, like, taking notes on what you're wearing and making, like, a, a chart. Oh God! I think that I, I would not delude myself that I am that interesting or important. <laughs> However, I think that my students one hundred percent talk to each other when they catch me in town or at the gym. They're like, "Did you see CJ and her stupid band T-shirt looking <laughs> like not a professor?" Or maybe this is just my imposter syndrome speaking. But sometimes <laughs> I think they do trade notes. I bet they do. So, who are you for our new listeners? Um. <laughs> um I am a writer. I am a teacher. Um, I went to Florida State University in Tallahassee for my PhD in creative writing, and mm-hmm. that's how I fell in love with the bookshelf, because you guys were my local bookshop while I was mm-hmm. there. Um, you also hosted the launch for my first novel, which came out while I was in the area, which is called The From Aways, and is published by HarperCollins. Um, so yes, I'm a former local and lover of the bookshelf and now I teach English, mostly creative writing, but some literature too, up at Colgate University in Hamilton, New York. Which is so, so cool. It's it's a good spot. I have really, really lovely students and it's it's that college season right now where mm-hmm. the leaves are changing and it's autumnal and all my students are wearing their new sweaters and scarves <laughs> and looking like they're from a catalog. <laughs> it's so much North Face, isn't it? <laughs> it's a lot of North Face um, they have a lot of bean going on up here. Definitely <laughs> oh, yeah. That makes country. sense. I'm kind of envious of you right now because we are experiencing the opposite of autumnal mm-hmm. weather. <laughs> uh, I feel like normally in October we at least get, like, lower humidity and clear skies, and it has been... It's still 85. Miserable. So miserable. Oh, but it's summer. I'm envious of your summer, and mm. you know you get to glow to me when I get snowed in. That's, That's true. <laughs> we'll talk in a few months, and yeah. then, then we'll see who has the upper hand. We'll do a follow-up in January. <laughs> <laughs> called Cabin Fever Edition. I will have read everything. <laughs> <laughs> All work and no play and make CJ a dull girl. <laughs> yes. um, so we wanted to talk to you today about short stories. Um, it seems to me, um, from observation and from being in two kind of different valences of the book world for the past few years, that like the lay reader is afraid of the short story Um, Do you find that that's at all true? I wonder if it's that they're afraid of the short story or if it's that 
they somehow feel it is not meant for them. Yeah. Um, I don't know what that is because I, I'm a person who writes short stories and I teach primarily short story mm-hmm. writing in my workshops because I think it's sort of a great place for new writers to start. And many of my students have never even read a short story right. before. Mm-hmm. Um, and, and I wonder if there's this way in which a novel is meant to be um, mass-consumed, for, mm-hmm. for to use a really crass word, and there's something about a short story that smacks of arch with a capital A in a way that makes yeah. it feel... Um, I don't know, I think people fear that they're going to be good for them or something like that, and, <laughs> and certainly that's not the case. I mean, they are good for you, but not in, in like that negative broccoli at dinner sort of way. Right. And so I think that might have something to do with it. That yeah. it has this, this like maybe unfair air of being, like, too literate, too artsy, That's what I was going to say. Too like, erudite. In the bookstore world, I feel like short stories <laughs> get pitched as maybe more literary mm-hmm. and a little... Um, I think they can come across... Which I think they wrongly come yeah. across this way. I don't think it's accurate, but I think they can come across as intimidating. Yeah. And so I feel like my readers, especially I think about my book clubs, who I think would love short story collections, book clubs won't touch short story collections. Right. Um, and I don't know why that is. Maybe it feels like you'll have too many things to discuss with too many stories. That's, yeah. That's possible. Do you know, I once had this very terrible co-worker, but she said a very smart thing, and as a result, I've had to think about this former terrible co-worker for the rest of my life. Um, but the very smart thing that she told me was that she didn't like, she preferred to read novels and didn't like reading short stories because it felt like this investment, like like getting to know someone when you start reading about characters or a world uh, or even in an author's voice. And so when she started reading a short story, she felt like she invested in this person and then they were gone so quickly. And mm-hmm. she wanted to sort of spend more time with people and really invest in the relationship of a novel. So I I don't know. I mean, maybe it's the sort of people, maybe this is sort of like the algorithm I can use to predict is, do you enjoy talking to strangers on airplanes? If yes, and you think that's like a valuable attraction <laughs> with another human being, you might like short stories. And if you're like, no, if I don't know you, I don't need to know you. Goodbye. <laughs> <laughs> I love that. I think anecdote. that's how we're gonna pitch our in caps now. <laughs> I think it might be. <laughs> um, but there are so many amazing short stories out there, and like that's I I, I do not like talking to strangers at all. Um, but I love short stories, and I think for me it's because it's small and digestible, and not a big time commitment like mm-hmm. a novel is for somebody like me who doesn't have a lot of time to read a short story or even a collection is like. All right, well, I can read one a night until I finish the book, and it might take me two weeks, but great. Yeah. Um, I love that. I love that you say one a night because I was actually thinking if it had to do, it might have to do with people's reading habits. And mm-hmm. so with stories, I always have a collection next to my bed, and mm-hmm. I always read at least one story before I go to sleep um, because sometimes I don't have time to read things other than what I'm reading for the classes I'm running. Right. Oh, and yeah. So, <laughs> Absolutely. Yeah. So I have these new collections that I keep by the bed, and then I also usually have one sort of collected story. So recently right. I've had the collected Grace Paley because I've read some of her work, but not all of her work, and so I've been sort of working through it, and it's been really lovely. I did that with Andre Debut a few years ago, and that was really rewarding, um, just to get like a, a collected stories like, all the best of. It's like a Greatest Hits album. Yeah. Yes. <laughs> Which is always fun. Do you think... So, 
I'm just also thinking when people think of short stories, they think of their college classes or their right. high school classes. Because I also wonder if they just associate it with classic literature mm-hmm. and they don't even, it doesn't even cross their radar right. that there are new wonderful short story collections for them to explore. Right. How much of. I think that's really true. Mm-hmm. Um, I think that. I mean, that might be true with a lot of different kinds of literature, actually. I, I, was teaching a, I teach contemporary literature, so things that are published now, in your bookstore now, <laughs> uh, most of the time. And I have students comment on things and say, it's so weird that all these books, I, actually last semester they said, why do all these books have sex in them? And I said, bad, because there's sex in the world and people write about the world. And I realized <laughs> it was because they hadn't read anything written in the past hundred years right. in so long that that seemed shocking to them. That's so um, interesting. I know, and then I think that some of my favorite short story collections are, I don't know, I mean, I love your Flannery O'Connors, your mm-hmm. Grace Paley's, but um, Chris Koch has this wonderful collection called We're in Trouble, uh-huh. and it has this very pulpy cover of like a hand gripping a rock face, and that's actually sort of what the stories are like. They're sort of adventuresome and dark, and it's people getting into these really perilous physical active situations that they've got to sort of scramble out of and survive and intense relationships and i just feel like maybe action adventure readers aren't there aren't reading short stories but they Mm -hmm. exist they exist in that genre as well and i wonder if so much of just the idea of the short story gets relegated to the new yorker the atlantic these things that like your everyday novel reader isn't going to pick up because of this weird false air of superiority but not realizing that there are so many of the novelists that they like who, who maybe started, started with a yeah. with a short story collection or who regularly publish short stories in addition to their novels. Um, I'm just thinking of, um, I don't know, like Adam Johnson. Yes. Um, who? Well, yeah. Yeah, he's got the short story collection Fortune Smiles. Which did you, Chris? Did you read that whole thing? I didn't or? read the whole thing, but I read several of them. Okay, so and. I can't remember if that won the National Book Award. Yeah. Um, but I re- wound up reading that whole collection, and what I loved about it was each story was so vastly different from right. the other. So that's another thing I like about short story collections is you've got kind of this mashup of genres too. Right. Like it's not just you've got range. Yeah. Um. So I rem- like I don't typically read science fiction, but some of his stories had like an element of that, mm-hmm. and then you know they also had an element of romance or whatever. So you kind of I think. Did you say greatest hits? Because that's what yeah. it feels like. Like there's a little bit of something for everyone. But I wonder if people like me, who love the love finishing a book, mm-hmm. feel like when they're reading a short story collection, they never quite finish. See, and for me, I think it's the opposite. Where if there are ten stories in a collection, then I get that experience of finishing ten times. Yeah. Right. Oh, that's true. <laughs> I, whereas I feel like I've got to finish this whole thing before it counts. Like, <laughs> <laughs> which I'm not I saying. Yeah, that's not healthy. <laughs> that's not the best part of my personality. I wonder if it matters, too. I mean, some, I mean you're, you're bringing up one of my favorite metaphors for story collections here, which is the album. And mm-hmm. I feel like there are different ways of, of putting together a collection that might make the reader feel a different way as they journey through it. Mm-hmm. So, yeah. like, Adam Johnson's uh, first collection, Emporium, is actually yeah. one of my favorites ever. It made me want to be a writer. It showed me that you could go weird or, or dark uh it's got that's on the one of teen sniper in it right yes where there's a teenager with this robot as a sniper yeah there's one about um it's in the second person a story about this sad young man who's lost his mother to cancer and he now drives this bus um 
where all these other women who have cancer go out and just party and get drunk and cause mayhem. <laughs> and he's just this sad teenage boy driving the, the cancer bus with these women telling him to buck up and come have a drink with him. Um, <laughs> and they all like go out to watch the Cassini satellite pass by. I don't know, so there are elements of the strange... And I feel like that's a collection where th- there's a unifying style, mm-hmm. but it's, it's sort of assembled in such a way that each track is sort of contributing to the greater whole of the album mm-hmm. um, as a kind of artistic statement. But there are other collections that are put together in really, I don't know, kind of more apparent ways. Um, Rebecca Berry's Later at the Bar is one I've always loved, which is a small town. There's a local bar. Everyone goes to the bar, and everyone... Each story is about someone else you would see in the bar and their life outside of oh, it. Oh, interesting. So they all sort of pass through that space on their ways in and out of the stories. So even though you're reading different stories, you're in the same world with the same characters for the whole book. Yeah. Oh. I love that. That's kind of like short-form Wendell Berry or something. Well, like, or yes. I was thinking about Elizabeth Strout. Like, I think all of Kittredge was that way, where right. it all took place in the same community. Mm-hmm. Um, and so you've got that unifying factor. I have a lay people question for both of you, I guess, which is how do short stories, how do short story collections, um, how is the rhythm decided for those stories? Does the author decide the order that the stories the appear editor, in? The or the editor, the publisher? alchemy of all three. Yeah, what's... Because I feel like so often the best short story collections, you know, I keep going back to Adam Johnson, but I just remember really, I thought his stories were placed perfectly Mm -hmm. beside each other. And I wondered if that was his call or his editor's call. It's a combination. So, I mean, writers obviously spend a lot of time thinking that out when they assemble the stories and send them out um, to an agent in the first place, or they do it in collaboration with an agent once it goes to the editor. Um... But I have a couple of friends who have said that they've had editors remove stories from the collection uh, or move things around uh, later on. And some people have really strong opinions about this and some people don't. I have many strong opinions and I have two in particular that I have a bunch of writer friends and I have sort of we formed a think tank about short stories. And this is the two things we both we all held true which were that if you have a weird story, a story that is very much unlike other stories in the collection, uh, a prime example of this is um, Wells Towers, Everything Ravaged, Everything Burned, which is mostly pretty realist stories about sad middle-aged white men. Uh, Mm -hmm. And then the penultimate story in that collection is about Vikings. (laughs) Okay. Um, And it's a very, very different feeling story. So weird stories have to go... Second to last, ideally. <laughs> okay. Maybe last, but second to last. So it's sort of like a weird little flare-up right before you go out with a consistent tone. And the other thing is that if you're going to put in a longer piece, like a novella, which a lot of short story collections do, right? Yeah. Sort of a novella like, uh, and other stories. Civil War, Land of Mad Decline has last. that. Yeah. Yeah, novella has to go last. And that makes sense. Um, you kind of like you're building to this, to this one thing that is longer and maybe a little more formally wrought, but... Not necessarily. Um, I get that. I also love the shorter story concept. So that was something I had not really encountered. Um, And this is obviously maybe a little bit different from the other titles we've named. But I really enjoyed BJ Novak's collection, One More Thing. Ah. And what I liked about it was the varying lengths of the story. So I was very accustomed to reading short stories that were, you know, pretty much the same in length unless it was that novella where it was slightly longer. But occasionally his short stories were like two sentences. Mm -hmm. And I was blown away that he could pack a full story 
into two sentences, and I just read, I think, Electric Literature or somebody on Twitter, now that people have 280, is it characters? Yeah. Is that right? Yeah. Characters? Um, they're doing, like, a writing contest, like, can you write a, a short, short story? A short story. Yeah, in 280 characters. So I did really like... That was the first time I had encountered that, and I was blown away by the creativity that requires right. to keep... I just tend to be long-winded, so, <laughs> so so I just was interested and intrigued by that even shorter story concept. Yeah. Too, someone who does something a little bit like that with a twist um, is Rebecca Mackay. Uh, she has this story collection called Music in Wartime, and in between every few stories... There is a short short like that. It's only a page or two long. And those are all nonfiction. So they're fiction stories, but they're sort of inspired in working around stuff to do with her family history and Hungarian heritage um, and this sort of family story that she tells over the course of these tiny flashes of nonfiction. And it's interesting because you'll read a couple of her short, short, short stories and then you'll get to this nonfiction flash, and it'll sort of give you this understanding of, oh, like this is the experience that you're writing out of, and then mm. it's gone again. Mm. And so you're putting together these puzzle pieces along the way, which I thought was a cool way of sort of, I don't know, building tension in the reader. Yeah. That's really cool. So, CJ, what are... You've named several that you like here, but if you had to pick like a, like a top three of your favorite collections, I know that's probably hard, but could you do it? It's like a devastating thing to ask someone. I to know. <laughs> Listen, I, I know. Um, but I have to, so I have to start with um, Nine Stories by J.D. Salinger. Mm-hmm. It's a classic. Yeah, absolutely. Many people have read Banana Fish, um, Uncle Wiggly in Connecticut. I mean, it's, it's a collection that, um, it just meant a lot to me growing up and has one of my favorite mm-hmm. stories of all time in it, um, for Esme with Love and Squalor. And I think that, um, not all of the stories follow this rule, but many of them uh, have the same cast of characters, which are, to say, the Glass family, mm-hmm. um, who appear in many, many of Salinger's works. Um, so Franny and Zooey are members of the Glass family. Seymour, who is in um, Banana Fish, is part of the Glass family. Mm-hmm. And so those stories were the first time that I met that family, who yeah. loomed quite large in my, in my mind and emotional life. And so... It, it's a favorite for that reason, and of course for his sort of characteristic, I don't know, foul-mouthed, sometimes heartbreaking and uh, emotionally repressed other times style. Yeah. So that one's definitely up there. That's a very good um, one. Oh, it's so good. Another one, this is a contemporary-ish one. Uh, it's called Bear Down, Bear North by Melinda Moustakis, and they all, they're linked by setting. They're, she grew up in Alaska. They all have to do with Alaska. There are also some um, repeating characters throughout, but what I really love about it is that all of them have to do with survival, mm-hmm. but not some in terms of physical survival and sort of an unforgiving landscape, and others in terms of, I don't know, if you've had certain traumas or experiences in your life, how do you metabolize those and move on and, and live and so sort of that theme of survival throughout those stories um really stuck with me because she took it to so many different places mm. um and she's someone else who actually has short pieces mixed in with longer pieces mm-hmm. um and then I, I think i have to do the thing where i say it's karen russell it's <laughs> lucy's home for girls raised by wolves yeah no I shame mean, in that that's one of my <sighs> favorites i love that one yes i feel like you in florida how can yeah. 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 I just think um, 
the strangeness and, and the sort of wide open heartedness of those stories, they're not, um, they're not cheesy in any way, but they make you feel all the feelings while right. being very dark and peculiar at once. And um, it seems like she is casting a different kind of spell in every one of those stories with a different kind of, I don't know, strangeness, if it's girls who have been raised by wolves or if it's someone falling into a giant conch shell <laughs> or if it's someone uh, snorkeling to look for the ghost of their dead sister. Mm. It's just like every time it's like, what magic are you going to do on me this time? I cannot wait. And so that one's got to be the third and then I'll cut myself off. It's hard to pick on me, but I love them so much. <laughs> I understand. All right. I have a, a follow-up question here that just occurred to me. Is it a sin to read a collection out of order? Yes, 100% yes. (laughs) (laughs) Because I I did that with Roxane Gay's Difficult Women, and I was pilloried by Emily McKenna, and I thought about it, and I was was kind of defensive then, but I thought about it later, and I was like, no, actually, that makes a lot of sense. (laughs) You were so defensive, but I, I... I definitely think that collection in particular, but maybe, CJ's right, maybe it's just a rule across the board, but Difficult <laughs> Women in particular, I felt like she very much yeah. had a rhythm An to arc. those stories. Yeah. Um, but I think you, it, it wouldn't be the end of the world, but I think you miss a little extra something yeah. when you yeah. read them out of order. What was your, why did you want to do that? Were you just feeling like a rebel that day? Uh, <laughs> no, I was doing it because I was working at the bookshelf in the afternoon when it was slow, and I didn't know if I was going to have time to read a whole thing in one sitting, and so I was choosing the shortest ones. Uh, and so after I read the shortest ones, I went back and read the other ones. Which does make sense. It does make sense. Yeah. Um, but I was reading the ones that were like one to ten pages long, because I knew I could get them in a sitting yeah. and not have to, I you forgot know, all about that. Yeah, right? <laughs> put it away and go home and pick it up in three days. Yeah. Um, well, you are forgiven for your <laughs> sins in that case. <laughs> <laughs> but okay, it's good to have some um, theological <laughs> confirmation there. <laughs> um, Annie, do you have any, any collections that you really like? Um, well, my one that I had listed was St. Lucy's Home for Girls. I love B.J. Novak, Novak's One More Thing. Um, Adam Johnson's Fortune Smiles, and then I, I just, I do think she's the master at it. Flannery O'Connor, Good Man is Hard to Find, yeah. um, but even her collected stories, um, which we have sold several copies in the shop, I just think, if you haven't read Flannery O'Connor, what are you doing? Yeah. <laughs> uh, so, so those kind of are my top ones, and then I'm currently reading, weirdly, Tom Hanks' short story collection that is coming out. I have all kinds of thoughts, um, but mostly intrigued that this is clearly somebody who's been working on these for years. Mm-hmm. Um, and some of them are certainly stronger than others, but um, that's kind of a fun, quirky collection that's coming out later this year. And I'm very excited. Um, I don't know how to pronounce her last name, but Ramona Osabel, she wrote... Yes. Son- yeah, she wrote Sons and Daughters of Ease and Plenty, which was a novel I adored. And now she's got a short story collection coming out, and I'm super excited. Yeah. Um... I really, really, really love No One Belongs Here More Than You by Miranda July. Oh, yeah. Um, every one of those stories is just so charming and weird. And, like, I can't emphasize weird enough. Um, just so bizarre. I was bizarre. just recommending the swim, swim team yeah. to one of my students the other day. Yeah, I'm teaching her a novel next week, and I just feel like I should have given them a short story beforehand just to get them ready for the tone. Yeah. Because it's just <laughs> so weird. Yeah. Um, so unlike what most people are doing. But I also really love Sorry, Please, Thank You by Charles Yu. Mm-hmm. 
Mm-hmm. He also wrote that one novel that I really love, How to Live Safely in a Science Fictional Universe. Um, and, like, man, there's a big range in those short stories, again, in theme, in content, in form. But then I think my favorite ever is probably Civil War Land and Bad Decline by George Saunders. Mm. Um, yes. It's hard to do better than Saunders, really. And I know that's, like, everybody loves Saunders, and it's not an unpopular thing to say, but I don't care. That, that collection's don't amazing. Don't let that stop you. Uh, no, let us be the people who celebrate our geniuses while they are still alive. Yeah, yes. right? And Saunders <laughs> is one of them. Um, and then, exciting, this short story collection up for the National Book Award right now? Yes. I was curious, CJ, if you had read this one. Her Body and Other Stories? I just, I'm actually reading that right now. Okay. I'm three stories in, but I'm loving it. Okay, okay good. good. I've read a couple excerpts um, just on the internet, and it, it looks really good. Um, yeah. I've seen some, some frankly, amazing pull quotes yeah. that people have just tweeted out. But... I'm so curious about that one. I hadn't gotten to it yet, but I'm thinking, I do kind of love the idea of keeping a short story collection by your bed, because yeah. I have this serious problem of reading fiction before bed and I just keep going like I just keep reading until Mm -hmm. my eyes will not stay open anymore but I like that maybe if I just read a short story every night it will end and I can go to bed like (laughs) (laughs) so I will say so this is actually what's by my bed right now okay Machado collection for body and other parties uh they're not great pre-bedtime stories because they're very dark and upsetting oh yeah I'm having peculiar dreams but they're really um some of them have, uh, I guess, fairy tale isn't quite the right word, influences. Do you know the sort of urban myth fairy tale of the girl with the green ribbon around her neck? Oh, yeah. Um, and so that's the inspiration for one of the stories. Um, there's a lot of sex. There's just a whole lot of sex. We have mostly women. Um, everything feels sort of dark and ominous all of the time in these worlds. And there's, there's one story that I just finished called Inventory that's interesting, which sort of unfolds presumably as a list of people uh, with anecdotes that the speaker has slept with, but over the course of each encounter, you realize that there's this sort of virus plague apocalypse happening. And so what starts off as just sort of like, I don't know, glib, here, my conquest story, turns into something totally, totally different in a really sneaky way. Interesting. Um, And I just, I've never read anything like that before. I think she's... A really, really exciting writer. Oh, That's super cool, yeah. Yeah, I think I'll be trying that one. I Difficult Women was pretty dark to me, and mm-hmm. so that was another one I couldn't really read before bed. It was just, it wasn't even that it was dark, it was just so heavy. Yeah. Um, uh-huh. But but I'm anxious to put this one um, in my bag on the way home, so. <laughs> <laughs> That'll be good. Uh, CJ, thank you so much for talking to us today. Oh, but of course I missed popping by the bookstore and just bothering you forever in person so it's nice to do so um on the the metaphysical front porch instead yeah we sure do we miss you we're having um small business saturday in a couple i guess in about a month and we were like oh no cj CJ to come help us sell books for the day (laughs) no i wanted to go trolling around as people can probably tell already recommending books is one of my favorite things to do so i was like your your worst fake employee just bothering people would you like to read these 12 books <laughs> well, um, we appreciate you very much. We oh, miss you so, so much. I miss you too. I think of you often as I am in my very lovely, but not nearly as great, I shouldn't say that, local bookstore. <laughs> 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 we won't tag um, them. Yeah, don't tag them. <laughs> 
<laughs> All right. Thank you all so much. Take care. Hug Thanks. Maury for me. Oh, I will. <laughs> Bye. Bye. Started out strong, but now we're coming up thin. Oh, we cast our lots with all the devils of sin. Oh, my God, oh, my God, oh, my God. From the Front Porch is a production of The Bookshelf, an independent bookstore in Thomasville, Georgia. It is produced by me, Annie Jones, and Chris Jensen, and edited by Chris Jensen. If you're interested in purchasing any of the books we've talked about on this episode, you can do so at bookshelfthomasville.com forward slash shop. Thank you so much to Forlorn Strangers for the use of our theme music. It's called Bottom of the Barrel and it's from their album, Forlorn Strangers. Learn more at ForlornStrangers.com. And if you'd like to support us on Patreon and gain exclusive access to bonus content, including our secret monthly podcast, Unpopular Opinions, check us out on Patreon.com slash FromTheFrontPorch. You can also find full episodes of our show on FromTheFrontPorchPodcast.com with detailed show notes and links to further reading. This week in the bookshelf, a funny thing happened. We had a little kid's uh, birthday at the bookshelf last Saturday, and he was turning five. Mm -hmm. His name's Hank. Mm -hmm. And Hank came running up to me at the end and said, thank you for letting me have my birthday here. This is my favorite place. (laughs) It just made me so happy. Thank you, Hank. (laughs) Thank you, Hank. You made my day. (laughs) Thank you so much for listening, and we will see you next week.